0: It's going to be a wonderful time. Let's share a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful unto you. We thank you. We thank you that your word is powerful. We thank you that your word is anointed. and You are going to bless us as we hear your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you about forgiveness part four. So we are going to be talking about the skill or the art of forgiveness. And uh, we also want to see the significance of forgiveness or How important forgiveness is as far as the Lord is concerned and how serious unforgiveness is as far as the Lord is concerned. John chapter 20 verse 19 to 23. The Bible said, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, "...and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained." So here we see in the scripture, this is the first day when Jesus had resurrected. The first day of the week, the disciples were boxed in their room for fear. And when he went to them... He showed them his hands that were pierced. He showed them his side that was also pierced. So he showed them the evidence of his death, his sacrifice, and he made them understand that he was alive. This is not the first occurrence. Somebody saw him in the garden. A woman um, saw him in the garden. He also met people on the way of Emmaus. So there had been a sequence of events, but... As a body of believers, when he met them together, he pronounced his peace unto them. The first thing Christ wants us to get is the fact that his peace is here with us. And this is important, especially in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic where everywhere people are panicking like the disciples were panicking and they were hiding in rooms. Here Jesus comes to tell us that because he's resurrected from the dead, you and I must have peace. And when he spoke peace unto them, look at verse number 22. He went ahead and he said, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Spirit. So he gave them peace and then he breathed unto them and gave his spirit unto them. You and I as believers, we have the peace of God and then we have the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit in our lives that gives us the peace of God. And so when they had received the Holy Spirit, now he now began to give them a mission for their missionary work. Now, I am sending you the same way my father sent me. In 21, actually, he said, As my father has sent me, so I also am sending you. So here, we see that he was making them missionary believers. And we have learned in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 and 19 that this ministry he gave them was a ministry of reconciliation to reconcile the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. But he said that as my father has sent me, so have I sent you. So we were sent into the world the same way Jesus was sent here by the Godhead. And so in verse 23, as a missionary believer, Whoso whoso whosoever since ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever since ye retain, they are retained. This is the power the resurrection has given to believers. Number one is peace. Number two is God himself in his spirit within us. And he has given us the power... To remit and to retain the sins of people. I believe that this is so powerful that we have to be talking about the message he sent them out there to go and give to the world. And when he sent them the message to go and give to the world, he also placed premium on the messenger. Because the message of God was not superior to the messenger in Jesus Christ. Because it was not a message that was offered, it was a messenger that was offered in Christ. So the messenger is very valuable to God in the process of the mission. And Jesus is saying that, as my Father sent me, so do I send you. So if you are a missionary believer, it means that you are here on an assignment, you are here fulfilling the purpose of God, and you have to understand that there is a unique value the Lord has placed on you. And the value He has placed on you comes with a supernatural authority. And that authority is that whosoever since you remit, it shall be remitted. That is to say that this whole world can be saved by you and I forgiving the sins of people the same way Jesus forgave the sins of people. Why? Because he has made us ambassadors of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20 He has put us in his stead to reconcile the world back unto him. So the role we play in remitting, can you imagine the word remittance is used there? But of course the root meaning of that word is to forgive but the word remittance is is used there and remittance simply means the sending of money most of the time but even goes beyond that it goes also into the sending of resources that's why the diaspora engagement between um, government and their people in the diaspora has become very important indeed in 2004 World Bank report said that the amount of remittance that was sent to Africa was three times more The international aid that was given to African government. So remittances had become very important and more valuable than even aid that was given by the international bodies for the development of Africa. That is when premium began to be placed on remittance. So government began to engage their... Members in the diaspora to become their developmental partners rather than going for loans and aids that were having conditionalities here and there. And the remittances were not just in money. People were also remitting their skills. So you see doctors coming back to their, I mean, original native countries to offer things. You see um, communities... Like community associations, like maybe Eurobas in UK coming to do some project in the Yoruba land. The Ibos in Nigeria going to the, the Abia state and all of that. If for Ghana, you see the Ashantimande, Kwapemande and all of that coming to their communities to do things. These were remittances through networks that were coming and these were valuable. So he's saying that the resources you decide to remit, you decide to transfer, will be sent for example, the money you decide not to send will be retained. When we are giving forgiveness, we are transferring supernatural resources and we are delivering people from poverty, bondage, like when these transference of resources are done in the native communities, it alleviates the poverty of people, builds social amenities, and makes the lives of people better. So the Lord is saying that the quality of life people live here on earth, to a large extent also depends on the missionary believer's ability to remit these resources. And one great resource in there is your ability to forgive. For example, many households depend on monies that are sent to them via remittances. Banks are taking remittance very serious. You hear government, when they are giving their budget, they talk about, annual total remittance into the country and out of the country. It's so important. It is the reason why we talk about money laundering and all of that because these have become things that have come to stay and they have become an integral part of our development. So forgiveness has become an integral part of the way human beings live. And so when we decide that as missionary believers, we do not see, first of all, the authority given us, the mandate given us, and the The mind of God, the will of God in forgiving this world through our remittance of their sin. That's why it's very important that we talk about forgiveness this morning. As a family in a lockdown, enjoying Easter. Easter is not enjoyable when we are still having tension between us, father and children, mother and children, father and and mother, or husband and wife, brother and sister, sister and sister, brother and brother. Okay, God wants us to be able to, as missionary believers, people who are on a journey, who are on a mission, be able to remit the sins of people, and heaven recognizes our forgiveness. And that's an important statement the Holy Spirit has just helped me to make, that some people, once we say we are forgiving them, the records in heaven will Impute that forgiveness and delete whatever their sins are as far as heaven is concerned. This is so powerful. Why? Because we are the price Jesus paid. So our value is the value of the blood and it is in the value of blood that we have the remission of sins. So we are the mobile value of the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. For instance, redemption itself Means to purchase something. And we were redeemed or purchased by the blood of the Lamb. So the tomato the money bought represents the money. So anytime you see that tomato, its value is there in money. And so when you see this money, you know that it can buy this basket full of tomato. So that exchange in value... Is what is called redemption, that this money is able to buy this basketful of tomato. So when you see the tomato, you see the money, and when you see the money, money, you see the tomato. So we were purchased by the blood of Jesus. That was our price. If you see us who are redeemed, you have to see the blood. If you see the blood, you have to see us, because the value of the blood is equal to the value of our lives. The fluidity of the blood is in what we do, being the, the very things the blood purchased. If somebody buys a car with his money, his money is what is being driven on the road. So we are the blood that is flowing on the face of the earth. So when we say that the blood flows, it is in our ability to do what the blood originally was intended to do. And that was to forgive the sins of people and to make people have a more glorious value on the face of the earth and before the lord as well this is very powerful when you decide not to forgive you are useless in the sacrifice of jesus and that's the first point that is why unforgiveness is serious so let me just try and break it down for you so why is unforgiveness serious unto god number one unforgiveness makes the sacrifice of jesus useless And the scripture is Colossians chapter 1 verse 14. In Colossians 1 14, we said it last um, Friday, that in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. So the blood, the purpose of the blood was for the forgiveness of sin. The redemption itself was a process, and that was a process of sacrifice that Jesus hung on the cross after he was trialed. And he was crucified as a criminal. He became a curse for us according to Galatians chapter 3. He bore our curse. He bore our infirmity. He bore our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He went through the most gruesome murder or the most gruesome crucifixion. A very indignified way of crucifying people like criminals. Hanging on the cross was Just done for people who were only criminals. That is, our criminality was placed upon him. That is the amount of suffering he had to suffer. When he was in the garden praying for us to be redeemed, Bible said that blood was coming through his sweat glands. A thorn was placed upon his head. Vinegar was given him when he wanted water. He was nailed in his hands and on his feet as well. His side was pierced he was hanging between two crooked people and the people shouted that he's the one they wanted dead instead of the criminal that is to say that he substituted his life in our place and this process he working for 33 years physically on the face of the earth just to perform this particular divine assignment to deliver you and i from the bondage was a very gruesome one it was the greatest sacrifice we call it the ultimate sacrifice And this sacrifice becomes useless when you and I decide that the purpose for which the sacrifice was made is no longer important to us. And what is the purpose? That we were redeemed and that redemption brought us forgiveness of sins. So when we decide as missionaries in the place of Christ not to redeem or not to forgive people, we are making useless all the sacrifices of Jesus. And anybody who uselesses the sacrifice of Jesus is crucifying Jesus twice. In that you are telling Jesus that you need to come again and die before this person can be forgiven. So God wants us to be forgiven God wants us to forgive people. God wants us to know that it is in our power here on earth to forgive people. And people we forgive are forgiven in heaven as well. And that is powerful. In order not for us to useless or waste or bogus. The sacrifice Jesus came to lay down his life to perform. We need to forgive people who wrong us all the time. Number two. Why God sees unforgiveness as serious is that unforgiveness gives Satan an upper hand over believers. I told you the last time that when you are unforgiving, you are spiritually sick because unforgiveness equals making the sickness maintain ground. And for anyone to be Healed, Jesus said, Your sins are forgiven, and that is what brought the healing. So when sins were not forgiven, healing did not come. Indeed, if you go to the real Jewish culture or the Greek foundation of sin, sin simply means you are spiritually sick. Alright, so when people don't forgive, it means they are spiritually sick. And that sickness of sin is what gives Satan the ability and upper hand over the believer. Second Corinthians chapter two, verse seven to eleven. Look at the scripture. It said, so that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. So the foundation of this scripture is such that a brother committed a heinous crime in the church of Corinth. And when he committed such a crime, The, the sins of the brother was so much that he was tagged as a great sinner. Then Paul came back again to speak to them in that verse seven that, so that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive. And after some time, after reflecting, and he said, comfort him when you forgive people, comfort them. Lest, so forgiveness brings comfort to people. Lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. When people know that they are in the wrong books, they lose their comfort, they lose their peace. And when people keep knowing that I'm a wrongdoer, I'm a sinner, I don't have forgiveness, it takes away their peace, it takes away their comfort. Look at verse number 8. We are going all the way to verse 11. It said that... Verse number 8 says that, Wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love towards him. So Paul is begging because forgiveness is not easy. When you see a brother who sleeps with the father's wife in a church... It is not easy to forgive such a brother, but he's saying that I am beseeching you because forgiveness is difficult. It's only easy when the Holy Spirit sheds the love of God in your heart. So he said, wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. The resurrection is Jesus Christ beseeching you and I to confirm our love for him and for the work he has sent us to do here on earth. Verse number 9, watch it carefully. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, beautiful, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. You see that Paul is following the pattern of Jesus. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgive it, for your sake's Forgive I it in the person of Christ, so when I forgive, I am forgiven in the place of Christ. This is so beautiful that you know that you are in the place of God. If you really want to exhibit or express or manifest your Godlike nature, it's in your ability to forgive. that is what makes you God. that is what makes you resemble Jesus. You do not resemble Jesus until you have forgiveness in your heart. Verse number 11 says that if you don't forgive this brother, let Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Okay, So people who are unforgiven, first of all, are ignorant of the devices of the enemy. Why? Because you play down on the power of the schemes, the tools, the arsenal. The devices of the enemy to destroy, the tricks, the the antics of the enemy, and one of the strongest antics of the enemy is unforgiveness. And when we are unforgiving, the Bible says that Satan takes advantage of us. Watch the scripture very carefully. I'm feeling it already now. Let Satan should get an advantage of us. Okay, so the person who is not forgiving the the one who wronged him or her satan is taking advantage of you using the device of that bitterness that anger that lack of forgiveness is making satan to take advantage of you that's why i'm saying that people who don't forgive Allow Satan to have an upper hand over their lives, And the person you do not forgive also, by many sorrows, they backslide, they don't have comfort, and Satan also takes advantage of them. So it's a win-win situation for Satan whenever we don't forgive. One day I was watching a video, a video by, I think, R.W. Schambach. And he was having a prayer line. Kenneth Hagin too has shared this story in his own meetings and he was praying for the sick and people were getting healed, people were getting healed and he prayed for a particular person several times and the person was not getting healed. And so he has the Holy Spirit. Why is this person not getting healed? After many people getting healed, everyone I pray for gets healed. But this person has come into the prayer line, the healing line more than 3 times and this person is not getting healed. Why? And the Lord gave him a revelation and spoke to him and said that the reason why this person is not getting healed is that he is harboring bitterness against something that happened to her in so-so and so time between herself and so-so and so person. And because of that bitterness, she is unable to be healed. And the sickness was a terminal sickness. Imagine somebody having cancer of any kind of sort. God is ready to heal the person. But because of their bitterness through unforgiveness, they are unable to receive the healing. So Satan is taking full advantage to make the sickness grow in their lives until it kills them. And the only reason is because of their inability to let go of people who wronged them. So bitterness, unforgiveness has blocked a lot of business opportunities for people. So Satan will take advantage of you when you don't forgive. You think the person who is not forgiven is the only person who will suffer, but also you. Imagine if Jesus did not forgive us. His work on earth would have been useless and Satan would have won. And so Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 to 15, watch it. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. So when Jesus forgave us all our trespasses, he now quickened us, he brought us alive in him. You are dead when you are not forgiven, and that makes Satan keep you in the pit of death. The next verse says in 14 that we were quickened because we were forgiven. And when we were forgiven, he said that blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. All right. So Jesus nailed the handwriting. So when people are not forgiven, there are documents against them. There are ordinances against them. There are legalities that would destroy their lives because they are not forgiven. This is what makes the power of Satan blossom. So Jesus took all these ordinances for the sake of sin, the controlling abilities of Satan, the regulatory ability of Satan, controlling man as he wanted, and he nailed it to the cross. He called that one forgiveness. And when that was done, look at the end result. Beautiful in verse 15. he says that when that was done and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So it is the forgiveness of Jesus Christ of our sins that was the power that destroyed principalities. Satan and his power, powers. He made a public show. The triumph of Jesus was in his ability to forgive us. So when we forgive, we destroy the power of Satan, the power of principalities, the power of demons over our lives and over the lives of people. Glory be to God. And it is a public show of our victory in Christ over Satan. That's why I'm saying that when we don't forgive, we give Satan an upper hand. But when we forgive, we disarm Satan. And so Jesus is saying that anyone who forgives is defeating Satan publicly, spiritually. That's where our victory is. So you can be praying and you are defeated already. Why? Because you don't know how to forgive. So you and I are better placed when we forgive. Husbands must forgive their wives. Wives must forgive their their husbands. No matter what happens, you must find a way to forgive. That is resurrection. Number four, or number three, wow. Forgiveness is a proof of our total obedience unto the Holy Spirit. In that second Corinthians chapter two, verse seven to nine, because we have read it, let me just quickly read it. So that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Verse eight, wherefore I beseech you that you would confirm your love towards him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things, Alright, so when we say let your obedience be complete, we know that you are obedient in all things. Okay, you can be obedient in some things. Paying your tithe, you are obedient. Praying, you are obedient. Serving in the house of the Lord, you are obedient. But that is in some things. The conclusion of the matter is that you are able to forgive because that is the ultimate task of Jesus on earth. To reconcile us back unto God. So when you perform that act of forgiveness, then you are proving that you are obedient in all things. To be complete in your obedience, you need to totally forgive. That says that you are obedient in all things. Because to some extent, giving your money to the work of God doesn't become difficult again. Serving in the church doesn't become difficult again. But when people offend you, you see that you find it very difficult to forgive. And so you see that your obedience is not complete. And Corinthians says that when your obedience is not complete, you will not be able to bring the authority of Satan under your subjection. That is why Satan has authority over some believers. Why? Because they do not prove their obedience in all things by forgiving people who wrong them. I'm feeling it already. Some people are half-obedient. Some people are partially obedient. They don't have absolute obedience. They are not obedient in all things. You see, Bible says that people who are faithful in all. So there is, there are some who are faithful and there are people who are faithful in all things. Some people, if you leave your wife with them, they won't molest the wife. But if you leave money with them, they will steal it. They are not faithful in all. So you want to see people whom you can leave money with, they will be faithful. You can leave children with, they will be faithful. You can leave business with. Faithful in all. Obedient in all things. So forgiveness is a proof of your obedience in all things to the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying you need to prove your love in showing your obedience in all things by forgiving the person who has wronged you, committed some form of you know, displeasure and has misbehaved towards you and you are not happy. So to prove that you are an obedient child of God, you need to forgive. Number four, forgiveness is also a proof that we are rich in grace. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. (laughs) So the forgiveness of sins is a function of the riches of the grace of God in your life. So people who are poor with grace find it difficult to forgive. Can I say it again? The true sense of your poverty It's not the absence of money in your pocket or in your account. The true sense of your poverty is in your inability to forgive. Because forgiveness is a function. It is according to the riches of his grace. That is, the true test of the level of your anointing is in your ability to forgive. I'm feeling it. If Jesus says he's anointed, he's rich in grace, he's powerful. You are an apostle, somebody broke away from your church. It is so painful, but you are cursing the person, cursing the person. It will not, who, who do you serve? Do you serve Christ or you serve the devil? And you wish the person will have an accident to die so that it will be a proof that when people leave you, they get destroyed. No! You are not rich in grace. You are not anointed at all. You are almost becoming a servant of the devil. When people wrong you, you wish evil to happen to them. When people sin against you, you, you are just calling down heaven and hell. You even wish Satan will work with you to kill the person. And I ask you the last time. If both of us are God's children, and I wrong you, my brother, And you go to my father to kill me because I wronged you. Which proper father will kill me because I wronged my brother? Fathers don't behave like that. So when you are praying and cursing people who have just wronged you. That something evil should happen to them. It is not God who makes that evil come to pass. You give Satan an opportunity to deploy his devices. That's what we read. That you are ignorant of the devices of the of the devil. You open up the person to the full power of hell to go against them. It's not God. You think it is God who answers your prayer. It is not God. It is demons who take advantage of that bitterness, that anger, that word spoken out of your emotions and anger to make those things happen to those people. Why? Because at the moment where you don't want to forgive, you have become poor in grace. You are no longer rich in grace because most of the time, the same way we set aside our faith when we are facing the storm, is the same way we set aside our grace when we are facing the issues of forgiveness. So you see that people make a decision not to forgive because they refuse to look at the riches of grace available unto them. You have, he says that, that you know that the Son of Man has power to forgive on earth. That you and I as children of God, we have got power, we have got grace, we have got anointing to forgive on earth. So you see clearly that some people are poor in grace. You can be preaching and you are poor in grace. It doesn't matter. Paul says some preach out of love and some preach out of envy. It's not everyone preaching that is rich in grace. It's not even everyone preaching who is called by God. Some are doing their own business. And a sign that you know that you are not a missionary for God. You are not a servant working in the place of God, sent by God. is when you refuse to forgive according to the riches of the grace available unto you. Some believers are not rich in grace. So you say that I'm a child of God, I'm a child of God. No. There's a question mark on you, listen to me, and when you are not rich in grace, you expose yourself to judgment. you expose yourself to very dangerous weapons of distractions, thinking that I'm, I'm making the life of the person be in a disadvantageous position. You rather deprive yourself of the power for your protection. Your provision and your prosperity. Jesus became poor that you and I through his poverty we might become prosperous. That riches of grace has been given to you. Forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. So your anointing will increase the more you are able to forgive. Hey, your gift of prophecy, gift of singing, gift of giving, gift of prosperity. Some people have gift to do business. You will increase in that when you develop the art of forgiving all the time. You will increase in grace. You will become rich in grace in everything you are doing. In marriage, you will be loved more. Your children will become greater. The more you develop the ability and the skill to forgive, grace keeps increasing for you. I'm feeling it already. The reason why people are given great projects, great blessings, promises, and they decline over time is because they become poor over the period of time, in the process of time, by not forgiving people. You see people carrying hate all around. They can't forgive. They can't forgive parents. Your dad was not there or your mom was not there when you were growing up and you have come to that point. It's very emotionally drenching, but you need to forgive because it is good for your health. You need to become rich abound in grace all right so everything around you collapses because you are not rich in grace number 5 why God sees unforgiveness to be very serious is because forgiveness allows blessings to flow let me say that it flows in Romans chapter 4 verse 7 watch it carefully it says saying blessed are they Whose iniquities are forgiven. And whose sins are covered. Alright. Which people are the blessed ones? They are the ones whose iniquities are forgiven. So when we forgive, it allows the perpetrators, the lawbreakers, the wrongdoers, to also come into blessedness. Some people will never become born again until they see our forgiveness. The people whose sins, whose iniquities are forgiven, remitted, they are the blessed ones. So when we forgive, we allow blessings to flow. So blessings are also a function of forgiveness. Whenever there is forgiveness, the blessings flow. And if blessings flow to perpetrators whose sins are forgiven... You can imagine the people who did the forgiveness, how much blessing they will get. So not forgiving people is first of all, blocking those people from entering into blessedness. Because your lack of forgiveness is is also a record in heaven. That's why the Bible is saying, if you remit here on earth, it shall be remitted there. So when you don't forgive people, sometimes the heaven shuts on them. But when you forgive them, they come into blessedness. When people see your practical love of Christianity, they follow your God. They follow Christ. And following Christ, they come into blessings. But when you refuse to forgive people, you block yourself from the blessings of that season. And, and from that process and that period onwards, you are not able to receive any other blessing that ought to come your way. Based on that forgiveness, that is on shadow. Hear me. There are forgivenesses that are placed on shadow. That you are supposed to forgive this person per this time, that time. Because God is not surprised by what happens. And when things happen, you ought to forgive. Because God expects you that with the capacity he has given you, By forgiving you, you must also extend forgiveness on the people. And it is only at that point that the blessings become fluid. They begin to flow, both to the perpetrator and the one who also forgives. Jesus is blessed forevermore because he forgave. When you forgive, you open the heavens for your blessings. So many of us have been praying. We have been praying for the marriage to work, but the marriage ain't gonna work because you are not forgiving. The business ain't gonna work because you are not forgiving. The education is not going to go well because you are not forgiving people who wronged you. It doesn't work well. The blessings don't flow when you stop to forgive. This is a very powerful key. And please, take note of it. Forgiveness and blessings are linked directly. Look at the scripture again. Forgiveness and blessings say, saying... Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven. So you see that there is a direct connection between blessings and forgiveness. Whose sins are covered. Some people are interested in exposing the sins of people. But it says that you are blessed when you forgive. It's so powerful. So this is how serious before God when we don't forgive. And when we forgive, this is how blessed we become. And let me say that forgiveness is an art that you develop over time. We learned in the book of Luke when Peter asked Jesus that how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times. And Jesus said that no. Seventy times seven. That is to say that if you are able to forgive over and over and over again four hundred and ninety times by the time you develop the ability to forgive that much you will not have a problem forgiving. So it's an art. You start from one step to another, to another, to another. So I'm going to take you through some keys that will help you to forgive and some steps that is that are going to help you to forgive. Number one key is much love. In Luke chapter 7 verse 47, look at the connection between forgiveness and love. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many, are forgiven for she loved much but to whom little is forgiven the same loveth little this lady loved the lord jesus to offer her perfume to offer her life to offer her tears she gave her love to the lord and she was proving the worth of her love by giving unto the lord when you love god so much you are able to forgive that a proof of your love is in your ability to forgive. So people, if you are going to be able to forgive, you should be someone who has accepted the love of God in your life and want to walk in practical love. And I told you in Romans 5.5 5 that every believer has been given the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. So for you to be able to forgive, you must love much. That is why John 3, 16 says that, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Salvation is a function of forgiveness. And that forgiveness is a function of the love of God. God loved unlovable people. So you and I, for us to be able to forgive, we must open our heart to be able to love much. People who have much love forgive easily. They are the same people who are also hurt deeply. But love is stronger than law. Love is stronger than wrongdoing. Love is stronger than fear. When you love much, you are able to overcome bitterness. You are able to overcome pain. Love is therapeutic. People are not lovable. But thankfully we have been given a superior love, which is a supernatural love, the God kind of love... To be able to love, even though we are human beings, we go through pain, but the another truth is that we also have the love of God. Why? Because we have the heart of God. We have the heart of flesh. We don't have a heart of stone. God's nature is in us. So we are able to give the same love that Jesus gave unto mankind who was not lovable. So if you are going to be able to forgive, you must love. There are so many spouses who have allowed... The water of their love to drain away. Children have lost their love for their parent. And you see, all these things faded. Your love can fade. Practically, it can fade if you don't guard it. So don't allow your love to fade. When your love fades, you begin to leak. And when you leak, Satan will take advantage of you. Love is stronger. It is what quenches Satanic arrows. So for us to be able to give forgive, we must have much love. You must love people because Christ loves them. When people wrong you, fault you, you need to forgive them. Number two, for you to be able to forgive, you must have faith. Luke chapter 5 verse 20. I'm showing the connection between faith and forgiveness. In Luke chapter 5 verse 20, And when he saw their faith... He said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. So here we see that somebody was sick and they brought a person to Jesus. And when Jesus saw the faith of the people who brought the sick person, he now spoke to the person who was sick. He said that your sins are forgiven. Whenever you see your faith, you will see forgiveness. People who are not able to forgive are people who are oblivious to their own faith. A sign of faithlessness is in your inability to forgive. Your ability to forgive is a proof of the quality of your faith. The strength of your faith is in your ability to forgive. When he saw their faith, he forgave. When you see your faith, you will forgive. Whenever faith is displayed, forgiveness is achieved. So when forgiveness is not achieved, it's because we have set aside our faith. I'm feeling it already. Jesus saw their faith. Inability to forgive means that people's faith is not expressed visibly. Your faith has become invisible. Your faith is hibernated when you are unable to forgive it takes love it takes faith to be able to forgive so for you to be able to forgive you should be somebody who is strong in faith and how do you become strong in faith open yourself to the Word of God and show your obedience that's why I say that forgiveness means that you are obedient in all obedient to what to what the Word of God says if Christ says that you must forgive because you have been forgiven, not because you don't want to be forgi- forgiven, it's not forgive so that you will be forgiven. He says forgive because you have already been forgiven. So there is no conditionality here that because I don't want to be forgiven by God, I won't forgive you. He says that you must forgive because Christ has already forgiven you. That is the word of God. You are inexcusable when it comes to forgiveness. So, a sign that your faith is quality, a sign that you are a child of God, you are powerful, you have faith that can move mountains, that can cast out demons, is in your ability to forgive. And so, when you have faith, forgiveness becomes easier. That's why people who listen to the word of God, they are able to forgive. People who listen... To chunk and chunk of the word of God. The word of God washes away their bitterness. Washes away their anger. Because the word of God is a rehab tool. It's a tool for reconstruction of our mind. It's a being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You, When you begin to feast on the word of God, your faith will grow. Romans says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When you fixate, when you feast on the word, it builds faith in you. And that faith helps you to forgive people easily. There is a direct connection between faith and forgiveness. We can see your faith when we see forgiveness on ground. So, unforgiveness is a sign that you have lost your faith. Hey, shh. You have lost it and don't lose it. You need to keep your faith for you to be able to forgive easily. Number three, you need to raise a redemptive excuse based on the ignorance of the trespasser, the lawbreaker, the perpetrator of that heinous crime. In Luke chapter 23 verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. Why should he forgive them? For they know not what they do. And they parted his remnant and cast lots on them. (laughs) Can you imagine? These people crucified Jesus and they didn't leave it at that. They took his dress, they cut it into pieces, and they took portions of it to their house. While he saw that, And he was dying for the sins of these same people. He said, Father, these people who are crucifying me, who are killing me, please forgive them. Because they don't know what they are doing. You need to raise a redemptive excuse for the perpetrator of the sin based on their ignorance. They are doing what they are doing because they are not mature. They are doing what they are doing because they are ignorant. It is not a normal excuse. It is an excuse that in the long run is going to save their lives. You can imagine at that same time, Jesus could have rained brimstone. He told Peter, why are you cutting the the ear of somebody or whichever disciple it was? I have angels at my disposal and I can bring them to deal with these people. So on the cross, he could have tapped into his divine resources for vengeance. But he rather saw love. He rather saw redemption. That is why his excuse was a redemptive one. That I'm raising an excuse for these people because in the end, I don't want them to be destroyed because they are doing what they are doing because they don't know why they are doing what they are doing. They don't know the, the plan of God, the purpose of God. So they are misbehaving, they are stealing from you, they are doing this and you don't want to ruin their lives because you see a redemptive plan. That these people, I came to redeem them, and I cannot destroy them by not forgiving them. So he raised that excuse for them that these people are perpetrating this act because they are ignorant. And indeed, the Bible said that if the lords of this life knew that crucifying Jesus would have brought redemption to us, they wouldn't have. And all of that, it took Jesus raising an excuse. Some people cannot give people the benefit of the doubt that what they are doing against you, they are doing what they are doing because they don't have the full picture. You always feel that people are wicked, that's why they are doing what they are doing. If these people knew that Jesus was dying to redeem them, I'm, I'm, I'm even sure they wouldn't have crucified him, and man would have remained bound to Satan. So sometimes, the Errors people commit, the fault people commit, the wrongdoings of people bring us a greater good when we are able to forgive. Jesus had many children born out of his crucifixion, born out of his redemption because he forgave on the cross. Stephen did the same thing. And watch it. Apostle Paul, who was the leader, the ring leader, stoning Stephen in the book of Acts, I think, chapter 7. Stephen was stoned, and as Stephen was being stoned, the Bible said the heavens were opened unto him. He had an opportunity. He saw angels ascending and descending. And instead of tapping into the power, and the services of angels to rain brimstone and fire like Sodom and Gomorrah, he rather prayed a prayer. He said, Father, forgive them. He said, Unto you I commit my soul. Forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. And what happened? He raised that excuse, that redemptive excuse for them based on their ignorance. And watch this. The greatest apostle who wrote about two-thirds of the epistles was there. He was a ringleader who was provoking people to stone Stephen. Saul was there. So imagine if Stephen had not been rich in grace and he said, Father, kill them. Apostle Paul wouldn't have ever become an apostle. He was a murderer. He was a ringleader. He was a gang leader. And Stephen said, Forgive. For he doesn't know what he's doing. And indeed, when God called him, he told Ananias, who didn't want to forgive him. Ananias said, you this guy, you don't want to forgive him. I want you to forgive him. Because he has been ignorant in what he's doing. He doesn't know that I'm even going to use him as an instrument to save many people. Listen to me. Unforgiveness will kill many generations who are taking time to mature. Who also have an opportunity to be redeemed in the long run. But when we don't extend forgiveness unto them, their lives end. And redemptive processes are curtailed because we are not able to raise a redemptive excuse based on their ignorance. Based on their immaturity before God. Remember, whatever we bind on earth is what is bound in heaven. When we remit, it is remitted there. So when we retain, it is also retained there. And so for you to be able to forgive people, you need to say, okay, maybe they don't know what they are doing. You need to give people the benefit of the doubt. You need to give people a chance. When you are legalistic, you don't give people a chance. You think that they did what they did because they knew all about it. Some people have some kind of hearsay information and they act on it. Some people are temperamental. They are very quickly angered. And some people act before they think. You need to give people the chance. Okay, So when you raise an excuse, if you are a wife or you are a husband, and let's say your wife goes to cheat, when that person comes home, I'm not saying cheating in marriage is good, but I'm telling you that not all cheating in marriage must end in divorce. You need to sit the person down and let them tell you why they did what. If you get to hear them, you might find the solution to what is happening in your house. Because we have seen wives who have lost themselves and they have pushed their husbands to town to chase other girls who have kept themselves. Not because the wives don't have it, but they have just lost it. And I'm not saying that you can go out there and do whatever you want. Once you are married, you have to stay home. I'm telling you that some things can push people out. When you are always disrespecting the man, it can push them out. Because somebody else is honoring them out there. If you are a husband and you are not protecting your wife you are not honoring your wife, you are not loving your wife, someone else who is loving her and giving her a listening ear, she will build a particular strong bond with a person and something can happen. You are not taking care of the woman, someone is doing good for the woman all the time, it can be a temptation and something can happen. Because you need to give people an opportunity to even tell you what is in their heart. To be able to help them. And so, if you always think you are right, if you always think that because I'm in the position of dominance, I need to execute, I won't forgive you. You might be fighting against yourself. Jesus would have fought against his own purpose if he had not raised that um, redemptive excuse for the people. This is so powerful. One of the reasons why I'm able to easily forgive people is that no matter what you do, it doesn't surprise me. Actually, I expect you to do some things. If you are my church member, I expect you as a sheep to do some things. People ask me, how are you able to... Because I see things differently. I try to see them from the perspective of Christ. That okay, this person... Let's say you're a pastor and your member insulted you. Whether directly, verbally, or whatever. You should expect it. Was Jesus not insulted? Are you special, pastor? You are a husband. Your wife says something that looks like an insult. Is it special? It's not special. When people are emotionally charged, they can lose themselves. The same way you can also lose yourself. Alright? When you commission, you, you, you want people to give you a chance, a benefit of the doubt, to explain yourself. But you don't allow people to explain themselves. You want people to understand you. You need to understand me. That's the benefit of the doubt you have been given right there. But when people do same to you, you don't give them that chance. Some children must give their fathers, absentee fathers, the chance to explain why they were not there. And when you get to hear the explanation from their heart, you will know that they want to be there now than ever before. But what happens? He's wicked, he doesn't love me, that's why he was not there. For so many of you, your father or whosoever migrated to go and work to secure your life. And it's the reason why you even had an education. But he said, okay, he was not at the PTA, he was not blah, blah, blah. Let me tell you today, and I'm going to tell you a very strong one. Your parent can never always be at your PTA. Check yourself and grow up. If they always have to be at the PTA, you'll be hungry. You will not even be educated in the first place for PTA to be called for parent to be there. Because sometimes your daddy has an important thing to do at work for his employers than attending a PTA and he doesn't have the permission. So grow up. He has come one, he has come two. Sometimes eventualities come, accidents come. Your mom is coming and something comes up. And when he weighs the two, he realizes that, no, I need to attend to your other sibling who is in a more critical condition than your, your PTA. Then you bottle it in. Okay, because he attended to that one and he didn't attend to me, he doesn't love me. No, there's something called scale of preference, priority. Some fathers don't stay home. Some mothers don't stay home because they are still fighting for your life. And when they have the opportunity to stay, they will stay. So don't develop your head over something that is even being done to secure your own life. These people were stoning Jesus because they thought they were right, but they were wrong. And Jesus had to raise an excuse for them. I pray that God will give you that heart. I pray. I pray. That God will give you that heart. These days, parents are at the beck and call of their children. It's good for parents to consult children like we are in a democracy and all of them. I'm telling you that at some point in time, children, you need to submit. Some of the things you hold your parents to, they are clever foolishness. And that is what has created that bitterness in you. Not to be able to flow with your dad. Not to be able to flow. Your dad put you in an international school. How does he pay that much dollars if he is not working in another territory? He should always be there, right? Is he your teacher? Your job is to be there to study, to ensure that you pass your exams and not make the investment of your education go wasted. Now you are bringing in an issue because people have... a a more relaxed itinerary that they are able to come there and all of that. I'm saying that parents should be responsible. But I'm telling you, hardly do we address children like that. And they feel like, okay, since my mother is not coming around, my dad is not coming around, they don't love me. Who is paying your school fees, dear? Your dad could have used that money to do some important... Let me tell you, your dad has got relatives, your mom has got relatives who are in greater need than your school fees. Some are sick in hospital. They need a quarter of that money to be well. And that money doesn't go to them to save their life. Some of them die. It goes into paying your, your bills, your rent, your fees, your tuition, your feeding, whilst other people would have needed just a drop of that to save their life. They go ahead to die because you are their priority. Then you get offended on top because they were not there. You better raise a better excuse, right? better raise an excuse for that parent so that you'll be able to forgive them and flow with them. It is at that point that you will appreciate their effort in your life. Some people don't appreciate. If your husband spend time with your wife as much as you can, you're a wife, spend time with your your husband. As much as you're a child, spend time. Get to maximize the little you have. If you want to take all, life will be grounded. That's why you have to raise an excuse. And I know many of you will not agree with me, but practically, life must be lived pragmatically. Alright? So, when your husband is supposed to have a vacation with you four times in a year, is he not going to lose his job? And you are banking on the vacation of your friend Whose husband is into maybe drugs or is into his own business. He controls his own time. Your husband doesn't control his own time. He needs to spread his leave. Some for his rest, some for the family, some for other eventualities. So that the family can be kept together. The same as the wife also. So if you want to go on vacation the same way your friends go on vacation. Bobo for you. And that is why you are bitter. That's why you are angry. Because of vacation... Sister, brother, you better put it together, alright? This is a hard saying. Jesus preached a message and people run away. <laughs> I'm feeling it already. Alright. So another key to be able to forgive is confession. Confession produces forgiveness. When someone wrongs you or when you wrong someone, an easier way to be forgiven is to recognize your sin, your wrongdoing and confess. When you confess, it makes it easier for the person you offended to forgive. First John chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When the perpetrator of the act, the negative act confesses It makes it easier for people to forgive. There are husbands who will never say sorry. There are wives who can never say, I'm sorry. If you find it difficult to say sorry from your heart, you make it difficult for people to forgive. You are a father, you must say sorry to your children. You should be able to say that. You, you are a man. You left your legitimate wife and you went to have children outside your home. And you feel like you are polygamist inside. Did you tell your wife that you wanted to date that lady and have a child? In polygamy, you don't even rise up and go and have children with people as you want. You need to inform your partner at the time before you can go out. But you go out spraying here and there. And when you bring the children, you feel like you should uh, uh, accept them. Polygamy demands that you inform whoever is legitimately married there before you step out. And whether they will agree or they will not agree is another matter, but they cannot be surprised. But you go out there, sleeping with people, impregnating them, and when she finds out, you begin to man up and say that, am I not the man? I'm free to go out there. You're a foolish man. You're a foolish person. You make it difficult for the person not to be able to forgive. So you need to you need to own up and man up when you falter with people, no matter your status, no matter who you are. Calm down, humble yourself and say, hey, this one I had. I should have done A, B, C, D and all of that. You are wife, you are always insulting your husband and you can't say I'm sorry. When you are told what was wrong, you just, you know, okay, I have heard. But to say sorry, you would die rather than to say sorry. Some husbands can never say sorry. Some children will never say, Daddy, I'm sorry. Mommy, I'm sorry. My brother, I'm sorry. Some people, it is like, it is a curse for you to say I'm sorry. You would rather die than to say I'm sorry. You are like the man who didn't want to remove his socks. You would rather die in his socks than remove it and his leg will be amputated. All right. So some of you would rather die than to say I'm sorry. A simple meaningful I'm sorry from your heart that hey I really regret. And when you are saying sorry you have to say it with meaning. Place value. Say what you mean and mean what you say. When you are confessing, you can imagine the same way you have to confess to the Lord out of a pure and a clean and a broken heart is the same way you must confess to one another out of a pure and a clean heart. Don't just say it with your mind or with your head because there are manipulators who will sin against you and they know that saying sorry is okay. They will say sorry ten times, but they keep doing the same thing. You are not serious. You need to say sorry mean it, and depart. When you say sorry, you need to repent. Alright? You can't be doing the same thing all the time. You are a husband. You keep bad-mouthing your wife all the time. And you come back to say sorry. I don't know what came upon me. I beg. Check what keeps coming upon you. If you are a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit. There's something called self-control. When you are boiling up and you want to bring out all those tornadoes, all those grenades, all those missiles out of your mouth because you are emotionally charged, please calm yourself down. Calm yourself down because your mouth will bring you trouble. And then you say, I don't know what happened. I don't know what came up on me. I'm very sorry. And then you go back to do the same thing again. Why do you keep doing the same thing again? And then you come back to say sorry. It makes confession, it makes forgiveness very difficult for people. But today, I'm telling you that even you that have to forgive others, you also have to even do the forgiveness by confessing. How do you do it? Father, I forgive Pastor Eben. I forgive Pastor Eben. And I release him. It is confession. That brings salvation. You that have been wronged. You need to say it with your mouth. And most of the time, you need to mention the name of the person who wronged you to say that, Lord, I forgive this person. I forgive Franklin. I forgive Merita. I forgive this person. I genuinely forgive them. Most of the time, you see that you are not able to clearly go off the park when you don't mention the name of the people. Because people who hurt you deeply, you don't want to have anything to do with them. You don't even want to mention their name. So, being able to mention the name of the person in the process of the forgiveness helps you to forgive the person. Recently, we were watching a video in a court in America where a lady, a police lady killed a black guy and uh, the little brother of the black guy was in court and before the judgment was pronounced for the lady to send into prison, the guy asked for the judge to say something and he said... Um, she wants to tell the white lady police who shot the brother that I forgive you and I love you. And the judge broke, the whole court broke down. You killed my brother. And the little brother says, I'm a Christian, I forgive you and I love you. And the boy asked the judge to give him an opportunity to hug this murderer. And she went and hugged the police woman and then said that you are not a bad person. I forgive you. I love you. And I pray that God will protect you in that prison. If you can't say it is difficult. Some of you, you divorce. You can't mention the name of, of, of your ex. Because that man, that woman. <laughs> la 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 la. Hey! <laughs> All right. So take it easy. Confess. Daddy, I forgive you. Daddy, you know I love you. I love you. I forgive you. You wronged me. This time I felt very bad, but I forgive you. And I love you. Today, I think families should be reconciling. It's Easter, and what the Lord is telling us to do is that, hey, remit the sins of people. Remit it. Then let me just draw a little balance here with the last point. (laughs) The last point is what I know a lot of you have been waiting for. When I forgive, must I keep relationships? Romans chapter 16 verse 17. That's the last key. To maintain your peace, some of the people you forgive, you must cut off. Now I beseech you brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Mark them. Mark them. So there are, sometimes you have to forgive people Based on their level of destruction in your life. And the Bible is saying that you, you have to forgive people all the time. But avoid, mark some people and avoid them. So avoid people who cause division and offense. There are some people whose presence in your life will continually destroy your life. Some are ex-lovers. They will destroy you. All right. Some pedophiles who molest children, you need to mark them. Some people, whenever they come to your home, they cause division between you and your spouse, between you and your children. Mark them. Some are rapists. Mark them. Some are thieves. Mark them. Some will always break your heart and will always misrepresent you before people. They are like on an agenda to destroy you. Mark them. It is not everybody you forgive that you must reinstate in a relationship with you. Some cause divisions. Some break families, destroy your job. Some cause an offense for you. Mark them and avoid them. Some people will take you to Juju. It is not according to your doctrine. Some people, you know them, but they believe in something else. And they try to introduce that something else into your space. Mark them. But the Bible says, forgive them first, but not necessarily to reinstate them in a relationship with you. And I think that's a challenge a lot of people have. That when I forgive people, must I still be flowing with them? When I forgive people, must I still be friends with them? When I forgive people, should we be like we used to be before? You need to analyze and assess the relationship and the damages they cause. The doctrines they have, their own mindset, and the repetitive nature of their destruction. They cause divisions, they cause offense. Some people around your family is a disaster. Some excess around you is a disaster for your home. Alright? So somebody asks, if forgiveness is this important, why do nations not forgive criminals and they jail them? Listen. Forgiveness does not mean don't jail. <laughs> Forgiveness is needed. But for law and order not to break down in a society, we need the law to jail people. That's, we need to take some people off the street and lock them somewhere so that we can maintain law and order. Look at car snatchers. Look at armed robbers who kill people to take their stuff. All right. No matter what happens to you, for your own health, you must forgive. But even when we forgive people, we still have to jail some people. Jail some people. Pedophiles must be jailed. Because when we leave them in society, they will continue defiling little children. So we need to hide them somewhere where they will not have the opportunity to cause that mess in society. Alright? Murderers. They have to be jailed. We have already forgiven them, but we don't need them in society. Because they will cause more harm in society. I hope you understand that. Mark them. <laughs> some people must be out of your life. That's why the Bible talks about, come out from among them. Do not relate with some people, even though you are forgiven them. But do not relate with them. It's very powerful and it's very important. Look at Romans 5.5. 5. God will give you the heart. God will give you his love. He said, and hope make it not ashamed. Because the love of God is shared abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit which is given unto us. The Holy Spirit. He breathed into them the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came with love in our heart. Please, I beseech you by the message of the Lord that in this resurrection Sunday morning, forgive. You need to forgive. Family members who whom you sent money to to build a house for you who chop your money forgive forgive oh you bought a land and the person changed the ownership of the land and took you to court on top forgive you save yourself by forgiving even if you want to litigate forgive some people have messed you up you brought somebody to stay with you and he destroyed your home please for the sake of your own health Forgive. Some people... Look, I know a man. I know a man in Nigeria. My very good friend. One lady who used to do hampers for a bank. my, my, My friend used to work in a bank. And then came to see this man with a hamper, like Christmas hamper. And he saw the industry of this woman who does this hamper. And decided to bring her on board his own private businesses. And over time... He made this person have shares in the company. He made this person an MD. Then something happened. And then this friend of mine went to jail. When she, he came back, this lady has changed everything and taken all the millions of dollars. Taken all the companies. And he, she's on ground. It's not a blessing to do that. When people help you and you stab them in their back, it's not a blessing. But for that brother, that friend of mine to maintain his own peace he had to forgive. I mean people can really hit you hard but it's time to forgive. The greatest forgiveness you can ever have is when Jesus forgives you your sins. So if you are here and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ you want to say Jesus I want you to come into my life. I want you to become my Lord and my personal Savior. I want you to do in my life what you have done in the lives of other people who are able to forgive. Lord Jesus, come into my life. So if you are that type, you want to receive Jesus into your life, I want you to say after me, say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the grace. I accept that I'm a sinner. Forgive me my sins. Wash me with your blood. And today, I ask you to come into my life. Become my Lord and my personal Savior. Thank you that I'm born again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, I want us to pray right now. I want us to pray just one prayer. Father, I receive the grace to be able to forgive and to have a new life. In the mighty name of Jesus. I receive the grace to be able to forgive and to have a new life. In the mighty name of Jesus. I want you to open your mouth wherever you are. Receive the grace to be able to forgive and to have a new life. In the mighty name of Jesus. Pray. If you are around your family, hold your hands together. We are here. It's powerful. Hold your hands together. all oh, the Father.
1: We are joined hands with the Son. We are children of the kingdom. We are family. We are one. Come on, sing it again. We are heard. I'm feeling it now. All the Father. Join us with our hey, We are children of the kingdom. We are family. Come on. We one more last time. We are head. We are head. Mashallah, oh, baladada of the father. We are joined the hands day with, day day with day a sign. We and are children day. of the king.
0: your family member hold the hand of somebody and first of all before you pray say i love you i forgive you i love you i forgive you daddy i forgive you mommy i forgive you all the wrongs i love you my brother i love you my sister i forgive you come on hug somebody hug somebody if you are in a family hug yourself Tell yourself you Lord, I forgive you. I love you. Come on now. Hold your hands and begin to pray. Father, let this family be restored. As we forgive ourselves, may we be restored. Before we do the communion, come on, sing that song. Pray together. Father, we receive the bond of unity. We receive the forgiveness of sin. We forgive one another. We pray in the name of Jesus. Come on. We are
1: children. Sakina we are family we are one. I
0: love it I love it pray hala gada bahasa kila manda la bosha za baba re kala baba sho ya le de 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 che sha kala brada da la la basa thank you father thank you lord for this powerful resurrection sunday for this powerful Resurrection Sunday, Malaga Bahasa. Thank, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'm feeling restoration in families. There's another song. It says...